What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Dr. Doolittle edition. If you remember him. That's just a tease. That's a little tease as to what our uh, thought experiment will be this week. Our if of the week has something to do with Dr. Doolittle. Gabby, how are you? I am good. Uh, I have freshly adopted a cat. So yes. I am riding that high still every time like she comes out of hiding and I see her, I'm still... It, it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it almost feel, it doesn't feel real a little bit. It's almost uh -huh. like we're just watching her or like, you know, somebody's going to be like, mm, nah, we're taking her back. Like, <laughs> you're not worthy. Um, well, she would be the one to decide. She has to decide whether you are worthy. That's and, true. Uh, that's how it goes with cats. It's like Excalibur. Like you don't just you don't force it. The swords kind of decides. Much like that, cats decide whether or not you're worthy of them. Absolutely, absolutely. And the cat's name. The cat has a funny name. Yeah. So the shelter called her Munchkin, um, which is funny because Munchkin is 15 pounds. She's literally the largest cat in, I've seen in my life. She's the size of a corgi. Um, but we've sort of been shortening it, shortening it to Munch for short. Munch. Um, yeah, Munch so is we'll, more appropriate for a 15 pound for a gigantic cat yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually had asked them if she was overweight I was like do I do I need to be like putting her on a diet is she 15 pounds like by accident and they're like yeah. no your girl's <laughs> just big yeah <laughs> yeah I did uh, I had uh, my, my cat named Mosey because she moseyed in the back door one day just showed up and decided <laughs> she lived here um, and uh she was at the vet recently, and she is 12 pounds. And I Dang. asked if that was a problem because I thought maybe she needs to be on a diet. And the doctor said, no, actually, for a middle-aged cat, 12 pounds is not bad. Um, so as long as you can still see their face, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or Sometimes like, you know, the, no pot-belly cat. Yeah, exactly. Super fat cats, you know, they get funny faces like bowling balls. You know, funny. <laughs> um. Well, congratulations to you and congratulations to Munch. Welcome to the family. Um, uh, Matt is not here this week. Matt is uh, yet again on a uh, pursuing a history of science emergency. Um, he top is, secret uh, assignment. Top secret, like uh, like Doctor Who. He is off in some period of the history of science trying to fix some flaw in the uh, timeline continuum. So we wish him well on that. And he will be back uh, next time. Um, so, uh, our, if, uh, this week comes from a listener, a listener like you, by the way, anyone out there, um, uh, if you're not a member of the program, you're missing out a little bit on some fun extra material. We go, we do thought experiments each week and we go to a certain point and at the end there is a cliffhanger of some sorts, uh, and in which uh, we continue a little bit further. We take the experiment even further um, only for our Patreon members. They get some exclusive um, bonus content. And uh, when we have guests, we have uh, 
extended interviews and all kinds of things like that. So for if you go to patreon.com slash what the if you can find out more about that. There's also all kinds of things you can uh, you can get uh, depending on what tier you join at. You get uh, wearables uh, like hoodies, T-shirts. Um, you get stickables like stickers. <laughs> you get drinkables like mugs. All kinds of fun stuff. Patreon.com slash what they have. Um, anyway, um, but you are all invited to, in fact, we, we encourage you, whether you're a Patreon member or not, civilian, human, etc. Um, we love it when you guys send in ideas for programs. And uh, we got a lovely note from uh, Nigel. Uh, and I'm going to read that here. So Nigel, who's one of our longtime listeners, uh, and I know, by the way, I know we have a lot of longtime listeners out there. So if you haven't written in in a while, let us know. How are things going? Nigel writes in from Portsmouth, UK. I won't try to do the accent. Portsmouth. Um, and uh, the, subject, <laughs> the subject of his email was, uh, um, oh, by the way, you can email it. Just if you, go to, if you want to know how to contact us, go to our website, whattheif.com. And there's a little box there. You can just shoot a message to us. You can also email us at feedback at whattheif.com. Nigel from Portsmouth writes, subject, Another question for you to consider from across the little pond again. <laughs> By little pond, I believe that is the Atlantic the Ocean. The entirety of the Atlantic Ocean. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, Nigel writes, uh, I adore the show. Thank you, Nigel. And I haven't missed an episode for the last two years. Wow. Deeply impressive. Really great. I hope you are all well and staying as safe as possible. Yeah, as, as safe as possible. As possible, yeah. We do live in New York City. It's <laughs> Exactly. It's a jungle out here. Exactly. It's a jungle out there, and it's a jungle in our apartments now with the, all these new cats. Um, and Nigel continues, thanks for running. Uh, yeah, we, we, did a, we ran with one of Nigel's ideas in the past. Uh, thanks for running with my last question about how life for us humans might have looked without opposable thumbs. Uh, and he writes, this time I find myself distracted, uh, continuing the animal, animal lover theme, Nigel writes, this time I find myself distracted on my frequent dog walks about how life might have turned out for us if we had been able to converse with the animals. I don't just mean training them, but actually talking to the animals, just like Dr. Doolittle was able to. Wouldn't we have a wonderful perception of the world? From the ant to the soaring albatross. That, that is, is a fascinating idea, which we'll run with. And Nigel concludes, but uh, now my delicious filet steak seems oddly odious. Arg, <laughs> help. What would have happened to everything if we were able to converse with our animal friends? So thank you, Nigel. And I'm just going to run right in. We, we announce every thought experiment with a fanfare. And so we ask... As Nigel asks, from across the little pond, what the if? We were able to converse with our animal friends. What would they say? If they could be on the podcast, imagine. Dr. Doolittle. Gabby, do you, do you know who Dr. Doolittle was? Did you grow up yeah. with Dr. Doolittle? Yeah. Grew up, I think, with like, I mean, I remember a movie. I don't know if there was like multiple shows, but I do remember a movie. Right. I think there was a, a long-running cartoon. Could have been um, okay, like a Hanna Barbera thing or something like that. But uh, but yeah, there was a musical and there was a song. Right. 
if I could talk to the animals, which I won't bother singing, but look it up. Lovely cool. song. Once it's in your head, you won't get it out of your head. Um, ah, so this is just future torture for me, actually. If I if that's right. if I look it up, I'll just have it stuck in my head all day. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, but Doctor Doolittle could talk to the animals, and so um, for those who who are already a bit confused, like what is this podcast? What the what the if is going on here? Gabby, what would you say to these people just to help them catch up? There's music. There's, yeah. there's emails. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't speak to the emails. Um, right. <laughs> but what we what we do every week is we pick an if. One what if sort of statement about the universe where we change one thing and then follow its ramifications outward as far as we can think. Um, and sometimes that might be small. What if we had two left feet? Um, or that could be gigantic. What if our solar system was much, much more dense? Um, and we tried to figure out, you know, what that means for us, what that means for the evolution of life, et cetera. Um, usually wind up destroying the universe in the process, but that's just a, uh, don't worry about that one. <laughs> right, right. And some science, here's, here's something, a question we haven't asked directly, but I'll just throw it to you. You know, how is it that people also, you can also learn science from this nonsense? Yeah, uh, so I'm a biologist, more specifically, I'm a virologist, um, so I study viruses. Yes. Um, and the idea is that myself and also Matt, who has a background in physics, in addition to being a science historian, which is super cool, um, you know, we have a science background, so we understand sort of the basis for this. So we can explain how things normally work, um, maybe extrapolate if you changed one rule, uh, maybe talk about what weird quirks we foresee happening uh, as a result of the if. Um, so make a weird experiment and have cool but also actual science fallout. Exactly, exactly. And I'm just a fan of science. I'm a documentary filmmaker. And so I'm just curious about things. And uh, I just want to know. And, and the truth be told that uh, I did not become a scientist. I tried it for a little bit, but the math was really hard. But also part of my problem was in, in learning science, I was very impatient. And sometimes the particularly dry presentation of it by certain teachers um, made it difficult. I, and yet I loved science fiction and I found myself learning. I felt like I learned a lot of science fiction from, and I, and I know a lot of people would attest to this from watching Star Trek and reading science fiction novels and things like that. So that's a little bit of our inspiration. So, so what if we could talk to the animals? My goodness. And I know that this is something that every pet owner asks. And to some degree, every pet owner, at least after they've had their pet for a while. Maybe it may still be too early for you uh, with Munch, um, but you actually feel like you do. You don't talk to the animal. Well, <laughs> actually, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you do, but uh, but you, at the very least, you feel like you can communicate with them or you understand them. But to be clear, I think one of the things when we begin our um, thought experiments defining the terms or setting up the parameters of the experiment is very important because we're very safety conscious here as well as um, rigorous or what would you call that? So, so Gabby, here, here's one way people can learn a little bit about science and we do this each week. How, do, how does one, how does a scientist need to set up an experiment so that it's being done properly? And for instance, what are one of the ways you could do it poorly so that you might waste time or yeah, so one of the things you want to do is always sort of define the scope of your experiment. What are you looking at? Because mm -hmm. um, what's important is you might be trying to do an experiment to test one thing, 
but actually the experiment, the way you're doing it is not really a good way to test that. Uh -huh. um, so you want to really think about, well, you know, what are you doing? Why? How is this particular experiment supposed to show X, Y, or Z? Um, in biology, especially because we're just moving queer, clear liquids around from like tube to tube. Um, you're not really showing so much that like this thing is right as much as you're trying to rule out extra possibilities by like four or five different assay types until you can kind of say, okay, based on all of this data, we think X is happening. Now let's move forward. Where is Y? What does Y mean from X? Um, and so much like that, if we have an if, what if animals can talk now? We have to figure out, well, how does that extend, right? Are all animals speaking English or can we just understand <laughs> them like they're speaking whatever language we speak? Right. Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Now, I'm just curious too, when you start an experiment, do you need, you, so you are, and we haven't mentioned, you're at Rockefeller University, so a very yep. highly prestigious uh, institution, a lot of Nobel Prize winners. In fact, is it true? I think it has more Nobel Prize winners on the faculty than maybe any other. It's a high place. density. I know. So, <laughs> like, I, I know numerically there are other institutions with more, but we don't. We are ah. really small, so we have like a, a more. They're more concentrated. Like you tend to bump into right. them a lot because they're right. just around. Right. Right. That's very. It sounds very good for the uh, for the biologist. You have a high concentration of something. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm sure that's helpful. So you have a high concentration of Nobel Prize winners. But um, so when you begin an experiment, you have an idea for an experiment. Do you have to, I'm guessing you have to get approval for it. And then when, in other words, you have to. Not really. But oh. there's sort of a lot of, well, I mean, here's the thing, right? An experiment can be something really small. Mm -hmm. um, so like everybody thinks like an experiment is like the huge, like we're th finally throwing the switch on Frankenstein, right? right. Like good Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> right. um, but I mean, in reality, like so much of what you do is optimizing an experiment to eventually be done that before you mm -hmm. even get to the experiment you want to do, well, how do you know what concentration of buffer to use? How do you know how much virus to use? How do you know how dense you need the cells? So like, these are all things that sometimes you can kind of have a good starting point based on previous experiments, but you right. want to check. Um, so there's maybe like 10, 15 other experiments before you get to the experiment you want to do. And sometimes the experiment you're doing is just building something so you can do another experiment. Like, uh -huh. So there's a lot of layers in tool use um, that's kind of funny and doesn't is not really shown as much in like science fiction or whatever. They like like every experiment somehow yields data. But meanwhile, I'm like cloning for two weeks straight and just trying to make like the right bacteria grow. Right, right. So I imagine, so so to begin this experiment, I would imagine what if, we, I mean, it, what's interesting is the if is not the experiment, but the experiment is we're now going to study the ramifications of this thing that has just happened in the universe where we can speak to animals. So it's a given, thanks to Nigel, that we can speak to the animals. So that's, Yes. That begins. And now we ask ourselves, what's happening? And so therefore, it's a little bit more like um, we've arrived on another planet or something, and it's like we're beginning observations. So is that another category? There are experiments. And then I realize this is actually more something else. This might be more like surveying or what, what do you... Yeah, so you, you can yeah. do like observations and there are plenty of mm. categories of scientific papers that comes out that are fundamentally observational. Mm. Um, so for example, we did one in IF based on the cockatoos that were learning to open trash cans. Yeah. There was not sort of a controlled environment to put a cockatoo from these regions alone with a trash can or 
put two cockatoos from different regions with their different trash can opening techniques together in a room with a trash can and see if they teach each other. That wasn't, that's not tested. But observationally, you can record, okay, well, you know, how many of them are opening trash cans, stuff like that. Um, so there, there is totally a category for observational um, science. And it is very important, too, because, you know, a lot of times you can't just sort of grab animals out of the wild and see, like, these behaviors happen um, outside of the context of where they normally live and their normal daily routine. Yeah, yeah. And so, in fact, if we, um, I think the first question with the if would be, how easily can we speak to the animals? In other words, if uh, you could imagine them just jabbering all over the place, and then it would just be like <laughs> chaos. So yeah. if we begin. We begin to build this. This this is a little bit like world building, something you might do in science yeah. fiction, right? So let's begin to to get the basic building blocks of this, so we can so talk to our animals. Go ahead. My big line, and we'll see yeah. which side of it we fall on, and go from there. Okay. Are we talking to animals as in, you know, they can now talk like people? In Dr. Doolittle, they don't. They still make animal noises. He can just understand them, oh, um, oh. if I remember correctly. Because there's, like, always, like, a scene where, like, it switches and it's somebody else who, like, comes into the room and it's just a bunch of animal noises. Ah, oh, um, okay. Or, but if we're listening to them exactly however they sound, that presents some really unique things for animals that don't communicate by sound. Um, yeah. Right. So, for example, if we're moving away from just mammals, a lot of insects communicate by pheromones. So, all of a sudden, are we, like, super equipped with insect, like, pheromone detectors? Because that's really cool. We don't right. normally have a good sense of smell as far as, like, the animal kingdom is concerned. Um, so that would be actually kind of cool to get a much baller sense of smell to be able to communicate with bees. Yeah. I think, I think that um, um, in the spirit of boldness, uh, as in to boldly go where no one has gone before, um, uh, Nigel, I believe Nigel's vision is that they are speaking English right out of their mouths. Okay. And which is insane because it, <laughs> it changes biology tremendously. By the way, I do want to mention um, one scene, one movie scene that comes to mind is the great, from the great movie Up by Pixar. <laughs> yes. And uh, now, even there, they didn't have, so there are dogs who speak English. And uh, in an English-speaking movie, and um, there the dogs can't actually speak English, but they the scientist has attached a translator to their neck that has like a voice a voice box, you know, and so when they bark, the thing goes. Um, and uh, they're all upset when one of them has to wear the cone. No, oh, the cone, the cone of shame. <laughs> doesn't it? Get, doesn't the collar get bumped too and start speaking in French or something like that? Like I feel like yeah, there's, I there's so. like a bit where the collar goes on the fritz and like the dog is speaking a different language. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is also a shout out to, if I may go deep on Pixar, uh, a little bit of a shout out or a callback to Buzz Lightyear, who has a Spanish button yes and, yeah <laughs> and start speaking spanish at one point but um yeah but we're imagining these animals speaking English. so so at the beginning let's just let's just start with cats so an animal i'm familiar with i know that interestingly it was an interesting fact i learned that cats only meow to humans i mean you do hear them making sounds but as far as directed Things that, that basically they me they don't meow normally. That that meow that they make w was came about as a way to communicate with humans because it was clear that humans reacted to it. 
Yeah, well, I won't say it came about just because of mm, humans. Mm, so they also mm. use it to communicate with like kittens, babies. Oh, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. But they don't really talk to each other that like audibly when right. they're just in a cat colony because most of their communication is body language. Um, yeah. So yeah, most the for the most part, they're not making meowing sounds um, at each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, it's got to be an open question as to when the cat comes in and looks at you and meows. And my cat, as all cat owners know, she has like, I don't know, an incredible variety of meows. It's not like oh, yeah. the same, there's like a meow and there's a meow meow and there's a and there's a, like all these different things. My she favorite is, is the merp. What's, what's the merp? Like, like, a, like a little cat merp. Like, if you know, like when you wake a cat up and it just makes a little... Yeah, like it's yeah. kind of like a, like a boot up sound for the cat. It's amazing. <laughs> boot up, that's awesome. Um, uh, and then of course there's the very angry one. You know, you haven't fed me. And then, um, yeah, like dude, come on. Right, and then there's the one I'm very excited. I'm a little bit angry, but I'm also super excited. Or there's mm. the one let's play, and you're not playing with me. Anyway, it goes on and on. They're definitely they're clearly talking to us, right? And it might be in the way. Uh, really know very little about children I confess but like you know young children before they can speak words they come in and they start they're clearly talking to you it's gibberish well, but so I'll make a delineate yeah. I'll, I'll I can actually explain that a little bit because some of okay. my friends are um they study vocal learning in birds uh, um so the thing about most animals is they might be able to communicate with you by sound right. but those are still sort of innate sounds um mm-hmm. they're not learning really how to string those into something different. So for example, every cat's merp is going to sound kind of the same. Every cat's feed me is more or less going to sound kind of the same. Um, you might have a particularly whack cat with like, I don't know, messed up vocal cords. Like there's this one cat who's like a really deep voice because he has like his vocal cords are messed up. It's hysterical. Oh. Uh, and so technically, yes, his meow for like feed me sounds different because he's bass boosted. He's but- like the Barry White of cats. Yeah, yeah, it's actually really funny. Like, he makes a meow. It's literally just, meow. It's <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard. Uh, the cat's name is Jack. Uh, yeah, but Jack. babies babble because mm. babbling is actually really important to eventually picking up the language. Mm. So there's sort of like a stage of just making the sounds that you hear back from other people. Yeah. And then eventually you start learning to imitate and, and actually make a distinct sound. That's why you get like a mama or a dada, like from mm. a baby eventually, um, because it's learned to make that sound and also to associate that with a distinct thing, yeah. literally a person, mama or dada. Right. right. <laughs> um, well, and they're and repeating, then, right? A mama, a mom is yeah. saying that over and over and over again. And eventually they realize, oh, I should make that. If I make yeah. that sound, mom reacts. Yeah. And then eventually you get language learned by understanding. So that, that period of babbling is important to understanding and learning how to make sounds. Yeah. And actually, it's kind of funny. I had a speech impediment when I was really young because my parents are New Yorkers. They talk fast and they weren't necessarily always looking at me. Um, and so it's a thing that happens with babies that they need to be able to see how you make the sounds, how you're moving your lips, because that's important to them figuring out how language works, how words are constructed. So animals don't really have this. All of their sounds are, are innate and coming from um, kind of a preloaded set of sounds. They can learn to make new ones if a particularly weird sound gets your attention. 
but they won't really be learning how to mimic or how to use your language. Unless, of course, it's another vocal learner, like a parrot. Oh, right. Now, I do have to ask, what it, are you able to, like when you said you had a speech impediment, but I'm just fascinated by the idea of a speech impediment based on too fast New York speaking. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's that? not like when I learned, I didn't. I, like, it's not like when I eventually fixed it. Like I had a thick New York accent. Right. Like, <laughs> the most that? like Brooklyn. They're like nobody can understand her. Yeah, it's because she's Brooklyn. Like <laughs> no. Hey, what? <laughs> get out of here! Forget about it. Like that's forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> what's wrong with my baby? Her my forget baby's about first it. word was forget about it. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was just that uh, I, everything was sort of kind of mumbled for me, I think. But uh, apparently uh-huh. I went through speech therapy lightning fast because uh-huh. much like, I guess it shouldn't be surprising that I'm a podcaster. I didn't shut up as a kid. <laughs> like I needed to come up for air to like speak. Like I would just talk like a single unending stream Eminem rap God style and then go <gasps> and then keep going. <laughs> so awesome. My parents joked that they, they naming me Gabby was way too uh, on the nose. They should have named me like Silences Golden or something, so they could have given them a moment of peace. Once once they took the training wheels off and speech therapy was done, they regretted that decision forever. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, shout out to your parents. Um, uh, uh, and by the way, my uh, my cat is um, she's a mutt, but she is partially Russian blue. And the Russian blue breed is known, they're very vocal. So she's, she is hilarious. She has a lot more vocal, kind of like Siamese cats also. There are yeah. certain cat breeds which are much more talkative than others. Um, anyway, so um, what happens though is that we can imagine that they, I think, again, maybe you might be able to help me better with this, but I feel like partly what has to happen is their brains have to be bigger or but part of this if is that a a language center needs to evolve in these animals that yeah. has o- so far only evolved in humans no right. well, so analogous ones do exist among vocal learning species mm. um so ugh, god christ let me see if i can remember all the vocal learners elephants seals um dolphins uh several different types of birds um, that are not necessarily all connectedly. Like, there's, like, three different groups of birds, and I think they evolved independently of each other. Hmm. Um, and then, like, us. Um, and I don't know if I'm leaving anything out, but mice may be hmm. rudimentary. Um, it's interesting. They have songs, but they're ultrasonic, so you can't really hear them. But when you pitch them down, they actually do sound like bird song. It's really neat. Wait, no uh, way. Wait a second. Yeah. Mice sing at yeah, an ultras- yeah. at above the human... Hearing yeah. frequency, and it's like these really, really nice. Like when when they pitch them down, it really sounds like birds kind of chirping. It's it's very surreal. Wow! Um, and are and they, they do doing it, it all the time? I don't know if it's all the time, but I do know they do it for like mating and stuff like that. Like there's like they are trying to get females' attention. Wow. And I, Christ, I don't want to misrepresent what they did, but I know my friends in this lab did wind up modifying that focal circuit to try to actually make it stronger and more mimic what evolved in humans and birds to really reinforce the vocal control. And the mice that they did that to actually did have more varied songs. They sang more and it was more varied. Um, So they, yeah, it it was really interesting. Um, If anyone's curious, this is the work from the Jarvis lab at Rockefeller. Um, And I think, my friend has a paper about this coming out 
soon. I'll have to ask him and cool. maybe plug that later. Yeah. But and maybe um, we can get him on the show and talk about it. But. Yeah, I have been trying to harass him over that <laughs> for a while <laughs> yeah. now. But what's it, you know, the ability to learn vocalization is not something that's unique to humans, but arguably we've I don't know, it might be narcissistic to say we're the best at it, but right. partially what it requires is a sort of reinforcement of like uh, I know there's an outgroup that goes to like a motor cortex too. So there's a linkage between, um, you know, what you might be thinking of as like a, a communication center and then physically like larynx. Um, so there's like a reinforcement between you have the ability to know these sounds and then also you have the ability to make these sounds in this kind of control. And there's a certain element of like motor learning that it's not like as acoustic. There's There's also an element of like physically teaching you to have the muscle memory to make these sounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I know, and, and, and this, is, this is a little bit of a going into a different territory, but I know people have tried to um, decode uh, dolphin speech, you know, to see if they're using... We've got a guy at, here, at Rockefeller doing that. It's actually... Really? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like running around like, I think like the Bahamas every summer, uh -huh. like tracking oh, dolphins. He's no fool. And, like, <laughs> oh, I know, right? It's such, <laughs> such hard work. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. sure they work very hard, but also yeah. like that must be great. Yeah. Um, and there's also a grad student that's co-mentored between his lab and the Jarvis lab, and she's studying like dolphin neural circuitry. So anytime a dead dolphin washes up in the New York area, she's there to huh. get brain segments so she can understand how dolphin vocal learning works, which is really cool. Oh. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So I think we can jump forward now. Um, mm -hmm. um, so we've studied, we've, another thing we do in, in What the If here is we sort of look at things from different angles. So we've looked at it, not that we want, we're not abandoning it, but we kind of looked at it here from an anatomical level. Now let's, let's jump to, again, it's a bit more hand-wavy, but the true manifestation of Nigel's imagination, that the animals can talk, and they're, I'm just going to imagine they're all talking. It's just all common. We don't know why, but they, it's, just, it's just a thing, and it's a normal thing. It's not like, you know, it would be a different experiment if suddenly one day the animals all started talking. That would be... And I think somebody should write that science fiction story if they haven't already. <laughs> it would be spectacular. The day the animals started talking. There are certain ones I've, I've read about. There's one about bears and things like that. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, like something about, it's a great story. It's like the day the bears learned how to make fire or something like that. Um, but uh, anyway, we just go out, we just go about our business and every creature is talking. Now here's the insane thing. If we go all the way, and that includes the insects, and so the insects, the birds, the cacophony. Now, the thing is, when you go outside, there is a the the I don't know if you would call it cacophony. There's the sounds of nature, and it can be quite pleasant. But you hear the insects, although it's a little bit more their wings probably making the buzzing sounds. But there's buzzing sounds. There's birds singing, um, and uh, and then there's if you're in a city, there's a lot of people talking and. Uh, and in fact, the people are speaking many different languages. That adds another. Let's just imagine the, for whatever reason, the the uh, insects are speaking, or the insects and the birds and all that are speaking in your language, whatever your mm -hmm. language is, right? Um, what would that be like? Well, for one, not every animal necessarily has to be speaking. Some animals are generally pretty quiet. I mean, let's uh -huh, be honest, we're talking right? about cats. Eventually, they get chatty, but also some of them might just be like, "I don't want to talk with you." Yeah, because they're also right. a little haughty. Um, I'm imagining yeah. dog parks 
full of a chorus of voices going, pull, yeah. pull, pull. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think it might be a little maddening to be able to understand everything. But at the same time, like you can go to Times Square and not, un- not listen to a single person that you right. sort of get this endless loud white noise. Yes. Um, yes. But it would be interesting to be able to understand things. Like I want to know pigeon gossip, yeah. or like like yeah. give me all like because there are social animals that live in the city too. Yeah. Um, the subways are probably going to be creepy because uh, it's one thing if you can see all the rats; it's another thing if you can hear them. Yes. Um, granted, so the, they might so just give a- you directions to really good pizza places because I feel That's like they would know. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So the rat, there's a famous video. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. There's a rat in the New York subway dragging a piece of pizza. What is? What do you imagine he's saying? Well, it's going to be muffled because that whole mouth is in a piece <laughs> yeah. of pizza, but also yeah. probably that he's like the luckiest rat on earth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw like somebody was feeding the little like uh, house sparrows like kind of by my block uh-huh. and like threw like a little piece of bread. And one bird got the whole piece of bread, and I cannot imagine like the triumphant, like <laughs> yeah. gloating, muffled, but still, that came from that bird. If I would have been able to understand it, yeah. So the the end. What's funny about the rats is that they could literally be trash talking each other in the trash. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> tell me we have a sound effect. Thank there you. we go. <laughs> so um. Um, also, interestingly, when you think about them, well, when they're in the middle of eating, they're not, t- t- like, we, we aren't generally, while we're eating, we're not. If, if we're smart, you're not talking, uh, or you learn that lesson as a kid pretty fast, um, not to talk while you're eating. So, um, but I love, I love the, the dog park is a really fun example, you know, because here's the thing, the dogs would be talking not just to the people, but they would be talking to each other. And that yeah. would be... Hilarious, I think. Um, another thing you mentioned there is like when you said, oh, the dogs would be going ball, 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 is that you, you're implying, and I think this is correct, that just because they can speak doesn't mean they are eloquent or high-functioning beyond yeah. making certain words. You know? I was yeah. thinking about that, right? Like, you know, it doesn't the dog doesn't instantly become Socrates just because you right. gave it the ability to speak. Granted, right. some dogs might be really, really smart and yeah, fairly yeah. eloquent. Like the collies. All of those herding, yeah, I was about to say, all of those yeah. herding breeds that are just like way too smart for their own good normally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, it's going to be interesting what particular range of what the animal would bother to say, right? Because if mm-hmm. it's insects, mm-hmm. there's mostly concern with like, food and then reproducing mm-hmm, um mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. are all they saying really like about that like yeah i don't know well it's interesting is that the bees seem to communicate incredibly bees well. do right. well, bees also dance um that oh. th- they dance to communicate where food is Tell um, us about like that. if a bee finds a good food source it yeah. will come back and then do a, a dance which maps to like i think we've decoded it um but it will tell no them way. like the direction and give information about the quality of the food source what? um yeah yeah so they do then, a like dan- the other, they do performance they do dance. art yeah. yes and they do that but, all you know without what we would consider you know language i mean complex right. pheromone system aside um yeah. so 
the disco is a thing and it is critical to the success of the hive. Bee disco. So one bee comes back into the hive mm-hmm. and it has located a food source. Just starts breakdancing and all the others watch. I'm guessing it's not it's not like they form uh, a little amphitheater and watch a show. He just starts yeah, doing I mean, it in the crowd. Yeah, you know, the bees can be, you know, above on the ceiling. You know, it's, it's bees. They're not right. constrained by verticality the way we are. That's right. That's uh, right. Or Ticketmaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, I mean, the one bee, and like I said, it's not just like a random dance that somehow they interpret. Like, movements mean things, and collectively, right. that dance will tell the other bees where food is, wow. what, like, sort of about its nutrient value, um, right. and... Do people have de- bees? Are shock like very very impressive? Like you can train bees to do small. Like scientists have trained bees to do small tasks, mm. and if you show a bee how to do something with a fake bee doing it, the other bee will learn how to do it. Whoa! Like I'm a little terrified of like in the best way, but like of bees. I, I actually this is for the audience. I think I've told you, Phil, when we were at lunch. My yeah. next pivot might be away from viruses and towards social insects because for some reason I've gotten really sucked into that. Like I've ordered books to start reading up on it. So who awesome. knows? I might be a weird bee person. Yeah. Uh, after grad school. Do you know about this is completely <laughs> random, but do you know about the bee wi- the person who whispers to the bees when the master dies? Yeah, yeah. So that was a tradition there's a tradition of telling good news to bees. Oh, um, good news and, that- and I guess bad news. Like in other words, when the queen of England died. So shout out to Nigel. We, and we, by the way, our sympathy for the death of your sovereign, still still feeling the pain. Um, I was addicted to every inch, every second of the pageantry that was broadcast. Um, but uh, there's a story that um, somebody, the master, of the, the queen had a lot of bees and therefore had a beekeeper. And the beekeeper, uh, this is a tradition known among beekeepers that when the master dies... Um, they put black cloths over the hives and they go and they say very quietly, you know, the queen is dead or whoever it is, you know, Master Johnson has died. Very strange. Actually, yeah, because I think it's telling the bees is also related to to the whole like putting the bees in the morning thing that it's not just for Uh, like when people die, but you also tell the bees about like births and stuff like that and like uh, people like who, who got married um, I, I like this, just gossiping with the hive. Yeah. Um, but apparently, yeah. like, like if you didn't, like, the superstition was that, like, the bees would leave or, like, stop right. making honey right. or just, like, die. Right. Um, it's kind of sweet. It's like considering them part of the family, which they are. Yeah. You know. Um, also, telling the bees the queen is dead is very ominous for bees. Yeah, I know. That's a little, a little, on a, a little, little traumatizing. I, I mean, yeah. think about it. If the bees can, well, I mean, we can understand animals. Does it go back the other way? Because if you're telling the bees the queen is dead, they're going to be like, <gasps> and then immediately go run to the queen and be like, what the hell is going on? That's right. Fine. That's right. She's going to be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, they're going to run and they're going to find Prince Charles has become king and they're, they're just totally going to freak out. They're going to well, no, we wanted Harry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so the bee dance. So w- what this strikes me is that, um, you know, if we can communicate easily, we can speak to the animals, we will learn things from them and they will change our culture. You know, like when there are, for instance, in English in particular, there are so many words and phrases adopted from other languages that have made their mm-hmm. way 
into English. I could imagine we learn to do bee dances too, you know, and therefore yeah. could control the bees by dancing. You know. So it would be interesting if we were sort of just understanding animals without hearing them just suddenly talk English, because mm. it would mean that you, again, we're a vocal learning species. We're very good at mimicking sounds. And now if all of a sudden mm. we know these sounds have a very specific meaning, yeah. meaning it's going to be even harder to understand your teenage daughter and what the hell she's saying, because yeah. now she's perfectly mimicking cat meows in order to communicate with her friends. Like I'm yeah. reminded yeah. of, um, there was an episode of SpongeBob where SpongeBob starts cursing, but all of the words he's using are like dolphin sounds, elephant noises, <laughs> like foghorns. Wow. And I'm now imagining like the latest like TikTok trend is like, <laughs> like, like instead of like leet speak on the internet, you can just start using like animal sounds. Yeah. Like there's got like I'm just instantly I know I know I come back to this every time we get to social stuff where I'm like there's gonna be a meme, um, but I feel yeah. like people underestimate how much kids will just pick up on something the instant yeah. they can and that it's new and that it's different and enabling them to say different stuff that their parents don't necessarily understand. Exactly, and you know with Google Translate, we'll automatically start incorporating. Um, animal languages, right? If it's that kind of thing. So even if there are many that speak English, we could also, I, I think we can certainly imagine that if the animals are speaking English to us, English speakers, and uh, and in France, they, they're speaking French, you know, if wherever they are, mm -hmm. they start speaking the language. It is a second tongue to them. They certainly have their native way of speaking. And we could certainly learn to begin a cross-cultural dialogue you know, we could even be using electronics to, to imitate. Now, just like you can go online and um, Wikipedia, or I'm sure Google Translate does the same thing. You can say, show, show me, translate this to French, right? And then the French word comes up, and then you can click the little speaker icon, and you can hear somebody say the word say with the proper mm -hmm. pronunciation. So I can imagine, you know, you want to speak to a bee, and you type the little speaker, and it goes, bzz, 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 you know. <laughs> so then you walk Actually, around saying that. I have two parts of a thought about this. One, yeah. now this means like you adopt a dog from like Puerto Rico so that you can learn Spanish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Granted, you're only learning, you know, ball in Spanish right. or like uh, words for other dog or food or something like that. But yeah, to be able yeah. to practice your Spanish because you get a dog from yeah. a Spanish speaking country would be really funny. Yeah. Um, second is something that's coming from my um, conlanging time. Um, Essentially, if you write fantasy, sci-fi, some people make up languages uh, for that. Um, and there are some people who are very, very, very good at it and who have written books, some of which yeah. I have read. Um, <laughs> and one thing that they actually make you consider is that the shape of the human mouth is very important to the sounds that we make. Um, <sighs> you don't really think about it how often that your tongue rubs up against the roof of your mouth while you speak, that how often that you have to make a sound by pressing your tongue to your front teeth. And the fact that we have a flat wall, basically, of front teeth is kind of important. Um, yeah. And I guess you'd only think about it when, you know, you're thinking of a kid who just lost their two front teeth and now it's yeah. just like lifting all the time because they lost yeah. like they lost the ability to make that sound. Um, and so now you have animals with vastly different mouths speaking English. Yeah. Um, and elephants can get around this, or I've seen them get around this. There's videos of them putting their trunks in their mouth and then using that to create the sound. But a cat doesn't have that. Right. So how does English sound with a longer mouth? Um, 
it it might be because you might like a seal might be speaking English to you, but you don't understand a seal's accent. Um, essentially, right. which I think would be a very fascinating layer. Is like, is this seal speaking Norwegian to me, or am I just like yeah. really bad at understanding seal? Exactly. Well, this this brings us back to, for instance, the idea of the uh, translator that they had in the movie Up. So you could imagine, you know, giving the cat, um, you know, something to wear that translates the sounds they make into your language. I, I could totally imagine a device. It's gonna, that would be a complicated device, but I could imagine one coming around. Um, and in fact, there would be one then for people, right? The, the spinoff for this would be that you could, mm -hmm. you know, we, we do have apps now where you can type in, uh, you could type in English, it then automatically translates it to the language and then speaks it so you can hold it up to the person. I mean, it's a bit of an awkward interchange. Yeah. But I could imagine us wearing uh, something. Or the other way around was the, um, in the Hitchhiker's Guide, of course, the babble fish, the uh, a, a, a fish or a small device that you would put in your ear that's doing all the automatic translation. That would be the most convenient. I will system. say the babble fish was the first time I ever read something and then just truly like had to reread all, like several times because in the book it's here put this fish in your ear and then it's not talked about again for like that's right. 10 pages and I was like yeah did I actually read that did I just hallucinate that sentence what's going on why <laughs> yeah. is nobody else talking about the fish I want to know about the fish that's right and that's then right. eventually they bring it back up and I was like okay I'm not just completely going crazy that, that there's a reason for the fish yeah, you're reminding me, right. So basically in the Hitchhiker's Guide, periodically you you get excerpts from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And eventually there is one part where it's like the entry number, of, you know, 321, whatever, the babblefish, and it explains the thing. Um, so lastly, the last thing that happens is uh, I could certainly imagine that um, the poetry, the eloquence that's going to come out, the new perspectives, all that kind of stuff when you encounter a new, this is essentially like meeting an, un, an uncountable number of new cultures and new perspectives and all that kind of stuff. And therefore, there's going to be some animal, may or may not be primate, you know, could be a bird, who knows what, who is so eloquent that it becomes a leader, or, or A, becomes a hugely popular pop culture character, <laughs> but then may even become the leader of, of the society. So how, how do you imagine well, this uh, playing out? Language does not necessarily mean sociality so vocal mm, learners mm -hmm. do tend to be social species but if we're just suddenly giving everything the gift of language then that means that like dung beetles who don't give a shit about each other are all of a sudden they're not going to rise up and develop a, a method to rule the world they're just going to continue being dung beetles except they can tell us about it <laughs> yeah. um, so i don't think it necessarily means that we're looking at you know scarab overlord um per se <laughs> But I am imagining, like, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to learn about just different forms of consciousness, right? Yeah. Like, there are animals that are definitely wildly intelligent, like octopi, but are just fundamentally wired so differently from us. Like, the further away that we get from mammals, it would be fascinating to know about. Like, I want to know about the philosophy of bees. Like, they might not be able to articulate that to me super well, but the, like, I mean, literally hive mind. Like, I want to know what that's like to experience that as a bee, as a worker bee. Like, um, that, I just think that would be, like, really interesting. And then, of course, you know, you've got the mindset of your cat, which might not be as fascinating. But, again, it's a cat. It might actually be 
fascinating. Um, like, I think it was, um, what book was it? I think it was Aragon growing up that there was like a, a one like random sentence because people can kind of communicate with the with minds and sometimes with animals that cats were the only ones really worth talking to because they were fascinating like other animals <laughs> like they funny, were just yeah. actually interesting um <laughs> which i think might be right <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny so um we're gonna pause it there the uh the if will continue for patreon members only pause. in the in the bonus content we're gonna go further but this has already been quite a spectacular journey i must say what i love about these ifs is that we never know where they're gonna go we never know what we're, where we're going to wind up. Um, and so I want to thank you, uh, Nigel, from Portsmouth for your, for your long listenership and for your fantastic idea. Uh, and remind all of you listening, if you have an idea that you'd like us to run with, go ahead and contact us just uh, from our website, whattheif.com, uh, or email us feedback at whattheif.com, just like Nigel did. And uh, we'll run with your story. And uh, we'll learn a lot of science and we'll have a wacky science fiction time about it. A lot of hand-waving. You know, hand yeah, waving is kind a of a dance, of dance of the sci-fi author. You know. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you for that. And again, Patreon members, don't forget the bonus content. Uh, the show will continue. We'll have extended conversations with Gabby here about this coming up uh, on your Patreon page, and you'll get an email about that. Patreon.com slash what the if. So um, Gabby, do you have anything you're, you want to plug? Anything coming up? We're entering Halloween. Period. Is there anything going um, on for you? Let's see. I don't think anything. Do you know what you're going to dress up as for Halloween? Do you yes. do that? Yes. Uh, I'm currently working on. Well, I'll see how many other people I get to do it with me. Um, I had this idea a while ago where essentially you get a group of people. Everybody is dressed as a knight, except one person who's dressed sort of like, like a sort of white rabbit, Playboy bunny kind of thing, except huh. covered in blood and with fangs. We are Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh um, my God. And genius. just making that sort of visual joke of like, how do these people go together and realizing the white rabbit like is yeah. the man eating rabbit from yeah. Monty Python. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if we're going to get somebody as the rabbit, but I am going as King Arthur. So I'm making the chain mail right now. If anybody has Arthur, advice, Arthur, King of the Britons. Yes, yes, I'm going as Arthur, yeah. King of the Britons. Um, <laughs> yes. And so I'm making the chainmail right now for, uh, I'm probably not going to do the full sleeves, but I'm, I'm going to uh -huh. do, he has the chainmail that comes down from his crown helmet. Um, yeah. So I'm going to do the crown helmet with the chainmail from that. Um, and if anybody has tips on chainmail, I'm just doing European four-in-one, but and it's butted mail, not riveted, but it's uh, it's very delicate and <laughs> it's kind of breaking my mind a little. I don't know how people successfully made so much chain mail over all of the Middle Ages. Um, so you can't just buy like sheets of chain mail somewhere. You have to, are you actually connecting I, the I'm links? I'm sure so? I could, but I yeah. myself am making the links. Like, wow. well, I'm not making the links. I bought the links and am right. linking them together um, myself wow. because wow. I... I don't know why I do this to myself. I like crafting, <laughs> but like halfway through, it took me like three hours and I made like a three inch long line of chain mail and that's it. And I'm like, I wow. have to do my entire head. Wow. Um, we'll see how that goes. Now, don't you also need a coconut? To, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or I need somebody behind me with the coconut because it was the squire. Oh, it's the squire who has the coconut. Okay. Has yeah. the coconut. Right. Um, so because we'll King Arthur doesn't really have a horse. He has a squire behind him making... Making a, horse sounds, yeah. Coconut making house. If I have yeah. enough time, I'll also make a holy hand grenade. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love I oh love that God. bit about the holy hand grenade. If you haven't seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, check it out. That's great. 
And I never think about connecting that to Halloween. So that's a great. That's yeah. Great. And yeah. I don't know how well it'll read. Like, I don't know if everyone will be like, who are you? And no, if I specifically genius. go, Arthur, King of the Britons, if they'll recognize the intonation. It's great because it's, it's, it is obscure, and yet it has real bang for the buck. Like, when you remember it, it's like, oh, my God. That's yep. what I like to go for Halloween costumes. I, I like when you connect it, and then it's like, oh, my God, that's funny. Um, yeah. Like, I, for example, I don't think I've told – I mean, I told you I went as a Jawa, right, last year? Oh, yes, that was amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, made, I handmade a Jawa costume. Yeah. However, the thing I didn't tell you guys is that it was actually a sexy Jawa costume. <laughs> so underneath <laughs> there were fishnet stockings because I, my, I hate that every women's costume has to be like sexy blank. But yeah. I love when you turn that on its head and you make it like the least sexy costume and air quotes <laughs> sexy costume just by adding fishnets. Um, yeah. So that's what I did. It was like a normal Jawa costume that I just like stuck out my leg. That's um. awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. And the Jawa have got to, you know, look, the Jawa, they wouldn't exist if there wasn't, you know, a little bit of sexiness going well, on in there. I mean, I don't know. They could just reproduce by meiosis. <laughs> they just divide in half. <laughs> they bud. Yeah. Look, they have a lot of time riding around in those, uh, what are those things called? The, uh, the salvage. Oh, the little fortresses things? The trucks, yeah. Rolling <laughs> fortress? Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, that's very cool. Didn't you run into somebody famous in the elevator as a Jawa or something? Uh, yeah, I got into the elevator with a Nobel laureate dressed as a Jawa. Yeah, one of, <laughs> one of the laureates because it was in, in the building where we live. Yeah. Um, and I, I, fortunately, the fishnets were not visible because I would have been even more baffling, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Just funny. to get in the elevator with a Jawa in fishnets on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. So tell us, uh, share share your Halloween costumes if you do dress absolutely. up. Absolutely. Fascinated you, by people's Halloween costumes. Yeah, absolutely. So go to whatthef.com and uh, shoot us a message and let us know uh, what you're doing. So thank you for that, Gabby. And uh, shout out to Matt again. We know he will be victorious in, um, in, uh, in fact, if our timeline still exists as it has, it means that Matt has successfully um, Taught the healed. Neanderthals how to make fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Uh, the science, the history of science um, uh, mission has been successful, so we will see him next time. So, thank you all for listening, uh, Patreon members. Don't forget to get your bonus material, and uh, if you don't know about Patreon, go check it out. So, thank you, everyone. So, Matt, Gabby, Matt, <laughs> Matt, Gabby, Matt, Gabby, um, <laughs> Gabby, would you um, uh, tell us how? Uh, we close out every show. Yeah. So as we are stuck in this parallel reality where nothing shuts up, the birds are <laughs> constantly gossiping, the crows are telling you that your outfit is trash, um, and you just cannot take it anymore. You can't help but to scream the name of the show in slow motion. What? The... the- for listening shout out to the jawas and the beasts i will see you next time <laughs>